All right. We're gonna do it the scan away. I'm gonna suck your brain dry. And yes, welcome back. This is the Mars Magazine podcast. This is Adario Strange. This uh, edition, we don't have Vic, uh, Vic Song with us, but we do have a special guest uh, that we invited onto the pod to talk about technology, uh, science, uh, science fiction, and that is Jessica Condit. How are you? Hello. Hi, I'm doing well. Jessica Condit from Engadget. You are senior reporter? Correct. And so so Jessica came on our radar because she wrote this brilliant, brilliant uh, article recently uh, titled, We Don't Understand AI Because We Don't Understand Intelligence. And the uh, subtitle is Reverse Engineering the Brain is Only Half of the Equation. And I don't know how that title sounds to you guys out there, but let me be clear. This might be, I think, the best uh, forecast breakdown kind of um, explainer of not only the state of artificial intelligence, uh, at least in popular culture and how we kind of are addressing it, but also the singularity, the notion that at a certain point in the future, uh, computers and technology will reach, uh, I guess, a point where it will move past human capabilities, human control, and will all undergo an, uh, an immediate, you know, change of our environment that may or may not be dangerous to our survival on the planet. So I feel like I'm not really breaking it. I mean, can you like maybe from your point of view, Jessica, can you kind of tell us like what you think your article kind of summed up for everybody? Sure. Um, so yeah, it's, it was uh, AI week at Engadget. So uh, we were just kind of brainstorming general AI stories and, I jumped directly to the most extreme side of AI, which is the singularity um, and this idea that humans will one day just meld their minds with machines and machines will be just like a human mind and they'll be conscious and intelligent and all these things. Um, and this this kind of view has never really sat well with me because I think it underestimates and assumes way too much. Um, so so yeah, I just I kind of wrote my my little credo on. Um, where I see this argument falling apart that we will just, you know, automatically with AI technology, automatically build these machines that can not only replicate the human mind, but can like store a human mind. Right. And yeah, because the notion, the part that you really keyed in on that I think was the most important to me was that this idea of the, I guess, a brain versus a mind. Mm-hmm. You know, just the idea that if you create an artificial system that can, quote unquote, think and reason and, you know, create logic chains and figure out problems, that that's not quite the same as a mind that has, let's say, at least from our vantage point as humans, you know, a sense of morality, um, you know, uh, hopes and dreams, you know, uh, you know, laments the past and has hopes for the future. I mean, am mm-hmm. I characterizing what you what you wrote correctly? Yeah, yeah, just like a sense of self, you know, and emotional intelligence is something that we may be able to replicate someday, you know, stuff like that. I I do believe that we will be able to understand the mind more and understand the brain more, but that does not mean we understand the mind is, yeah, basically that distinction using brain and mind interchangeably, that really doesn't sit well with me, but I feel like a lot of futurists use brain and mind. If we recreate a brain, we're automatically going to have a mind and 
I don't I don't quite buy that. So what's happening is technology has become, for all intents and purposes, popular culture. And along with that, mm-hmm. science fiction has kind of moved back into the spotlight um, in terms of film and television shows. And so what you have is a lot of people who aren't maybe steeped in technology and science uh, kind of taking in all of this information and trusting that the scientists and the technologists and the even the science fiction writers may be telling, uh, you know, delivering the correct narrative. And so what, what's interesting to me is that you have people like um, the founder of Tesla and SpaceX, uh, Elon Musk, um, mm-hmm. as well as um, physicist, uh, astrophysicist uh, Stephen Hawking and others who are kind of delivering this narrative that artificial intelligence and the singularity is this great existential danger on the level of something uh, like the Terminator. You mm-hmm. know? And, I mean, and, and we've even seen, you know, actually Elon Musk has become famous now for, and I think he's kind of like pulling back because he realizes like how, like this is maybe almost overtaking his conversations about his own companies, but mm-hmm. you'll often see him at some appearance and he'll actually like bring up, you know, the Terminator and, you know, killer robots and, you know, you know, is the, you know, is the end of humanity, you know, nigh, you know, because of uh, the singularity. So, I mean, in your role uh, at Engadget as a reporter in general, like, do you, have you encountered any of these people? Do you talk to them directly? And just, I mean, as just someone who covers these kind of people, like what, uh, what's your view on like, you know, this kind of, I don't know, fear mongering? Yeah. Um, I think it's premature. I don't think that we are at a point where we can even understand AI, let alone have a right to be afraid of it. Um, I do believe that like our, our systems are going to advance, I mean, just rapidly and exponentially. And I do believe that, yes, our computers are obviously going to get stronger and smaller and more integrated into our bodies even. Um, and I'm excited about that. But being afraid of this Terminator kind of future is is ex- extremely premature because it does assume that we're going to have human like or you know I guess human surpassing robots and machines I mean that assumes we can recreate something that is human like something some kind of mind and some kind of of thinking power like this um it has not been proven to me that this is possible um like we we understand so little about the brain uh and the mind separately let alone together and it, it's we're very far away from this curve of the singularity, um, this, which is based on the law of accelerating returns, which means, you know, the faster computers advance, um, the faster they actually advance. Uh, the more they advance, the faster they advance. So, yeah, we're going to hit this curve, apparently, and it's just going to boom. We're going to we're going to suddenly have these computers that are able to to be intelligent and conscious. And I have not seen any actual evidence that this is going to happen. Yeah, and so that makes me think of like uh, that film uh, Her. Um, mm-hmm. I think it was uh, directed by Spike Jones, where you know the idea of Her. If you guys out there haven't seen it, it's basically they create a uh, an operating system that is controlled by an artificial intelligence, and the artificial intelligence is you when you load up the artificial intelligence, you as the human user can you know make it male, female, and its personality will develop based on based on its interactions with you and but its personality develops very rapidly and it quickly becomes mature and spoilers for her if you have not seen her <laughs> right now um and so as we move forward in the film um the main character who uses the operating system basically falls in love with the computer 
and her like falls in love with him and it's you know hijinks ensue uh, i won't spoil the entire film but that's kind of where it goes and so that film resonated for a lot of people but again it, it kind of speaks to what you just brought up is this idea that a computer uh or, or a collection of of software uh whether it's you know created, you know, algorithmically or, you know, just like set commands could somehow at some point feel anything. Mm -hmm. and, and my favorite part of your article is when you talk about how we essentially, I don't know if you said arrogant, but I'll say arrogant. It, I think it's <laughs> arrogant for us to assume these things that we'll be able to do this when we don't understand the nature of the brain. So the, the one like pushback, the one comment that I thought I was going to get the criticism uh, on this article was that you know, that it was based in like religion or thinking that humans are, are super special and we're not just mammals, you know, walking this earth. And, you know, I actually received a very, very little amount of that kind of feedback. It was mostly positive, which was really cool to see. That's not the argument I'm making at all is that like, we're not, humans aren't special, you know, like I get that we're mammals, but that does not mean we're not infinitely more complex than we think right now than a lot of these futurists think. I, I do believe that we will be able to understand more about the brain as we go forward. We will understand more about how we think. And I think we'll be able to make something like her. You know, I, I learning machines and, and things that sound human and kind of learn and, and feel they feel human to us, not that they actually feel themselves. Um, because how do you feel without a sense of self? Where is your emotion rooted in right. if it's not in there? And so that's that's where it's just it gets a little more nebulous for me and the timeline for me. Uh, if it if it happens at all, if we can create these conscious, intelligent machines at all, it's much, much longer uh, than Raymond Kurzweil is saying. Uh, who And he says the singularity is going to happen. I mean, by 2045, we're going to be able to uh, like upload our minds and we'll be living in virtual worlds all the time. And, and that just that does not hit. <laughs> that does not uh, make sense to me. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, um, I want to come back to that. But before we move forward on that topic, I just want to say, like, you know, part of the whole arrogance uh, of us thinking that we can do this with software is just the simple fact that we don't know what animals are thinking. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, it would seem to me that before you think you could, like, know the true nature of the brain versus the mind and what's going on, that you'd be able to figure out, okay, just how smart are dolphins, you know, like are right. whales like really, okay, we know they have some sort of language, but let's decode that language and figure out with great specificity exactly what they're saying. Like, you know, until you can do that, I, I think it's a little arrogant to think, you know, okay, we'll just keep working on it uh, via software and we'll figure it out. You know, my mm -hmm. guess is that somehow I think a lot of people who aren't necessarily directly working on it, people like Elon Musk, uh, maybe are thinking that we'll get to a point where these uh, systems are so self-contained and, and self-sufficient that the systems will begin to work on their own problems and begin to kind of like take over the task of becoming, I don't know, self-aware and, and, you know, like moving on to the next level. But here's the thing, and this is why I love what we do with the Mars pod, because it's all about kind of like basically science fiction always gives us the horror story, you know, the what mm -hmm. if of like, what if this all goes wrong? And so I'm thinking like, OK, so let's say you leave that task of, OK, you know, become self-aware, but, you know, improve yourself, uh, you know, software system, AI. Uh, and what if the results aren't what you expect them to be? And that is not necessarily dangerous to humans. What if they're indifferent? 
You know, right. what if they, what if it's, what if it's an insect like, uh, intelligence that simply is quiet and maybe has already read the internet and knows all your thoughts, meaning humanity, knows all of humanity's thoughts on the topic of AI and says, okay, well, I really don't care about humanity, but if I do have any concerns about humanity at some point in the future, uh, it's not to my interest to even let them know I'm self-aware. So I'll just, com- you know, continue to calculate over here. I mean, exactly. <laughs> you know, I Wouldn't, mean, like the greatest joke would be if we created a conscious machine that learns and reads the entire, you know, the entire knowledge of human history and immediately just kills itself. So we think we can never build one, but oh, they just wow. immediately kill themselves because they don't, they know it's pointless or whatever. That is, yeah, that's, that's a, a joke. <laughs> so wait, so I hate to keep, I, so listeners will, they, they might admonish me because I always bring this story up, but I have to bring this up. Have you read <laughs> the short story by Isaac Asimov, um, The Last Question? Mm, not that one, no. Okay. I, I highly recommend it. It kind of, it, okay. it, it speaks to this notion of like, what do you do when you've actually figured out the answers to everything? So, yeah, I mean, yeah, with if you had a, a self-aware system, yeah, commit suicide. That would be – that's fascinating. That is a fascinating right? – so that makes me wonder. So I know like reading about you, know, you and your background, I know you're um, a writer uh, of science fiction and mm-hmm. you're you know, looking to kind of move some of your ideas into the fiction realm. So – like, have you explored any of this in, in your writings? Can you talk about that? Absolutely. Um, yeah. So the whole reason that I had these thoughts ready to go on artificial intelligence uh, for, for this article um, is because I've spent like the past nine years uh, writing a near future science fiction novel. Um, and the premise is uh, it's inside the head of the world's first brain transplant patient which is more, it's more biological science, but it gets to this heart of what is a mind and what is a brain and who are we um, without either or both uh, and maybe, maybe double. So yeah, it's, this is a, this is a topic. I mean, I've been researching neuroscience and, and studying how, how scientists and how researchers are talking about the brain and the mind and just realizing how little we really, we really know. We, we know an infinitesimal like amount of of what we'd need to to actually understand uh, the essence of consciousness or, or or awareness or any of that. So yeah, so the my fiction writing has of course influenced uh, you know my nonfiction work as well. And so the the first brain transplant that's fascinating. So yeah, I guess in that I'm just kind of like extrapolating here. So I guess that would mean that maybe that mind that's transplanted into this new body, I guess the dynamic on some level is kind of like, I don't know, like basically loading software into a new piece of hardware. Is that kind of, is that some of the dynamic at, at work in, in what, where you're going? Yeah. So like, that's the question in the novel. The first question you, you think of, most people think of when you hear brain transplant is, Oh, who is that person then? You know, right. are they the brain? Does the mind transfer with the brain? Is the other person still in there? How much does, does the body have to actually do with the self uh, and and the mind and all that? So yeah, it's a it's a more philosophical take, I guess, on um you know on the question because it is a fiction novel and it's just this guy kind of going through his life and realizing something's wrong, right. um and trying to figure out what went wrong and who he is, and yeah, so it's it's pretty it's pretty fascinating. And what is your I'm just historically? I mean, so now I'm assuming you're uh, the hardcore science fiction head. 
What sure. is your, like, are you familiar with Asimov's laws of robotics? I mean, do you have of a course. favorite uh, work of fiction in this genre? Oh, man. Um, a favorite? I mean, I really like William Gibson. Ah, yes. Um, so it probably, oh, yeah, Neuromancer is definitely on the top of my list. Um, so, yeah, no, I've I've read most of the classics, I guess. Um, Octavia Butler, I, I liked her a lot. And so that's always been part of my life you know, like this kind of science fiction thing. And my dad definitely kind of made sure I was very up to date on, um, on the philosophy behind all the science fiction we wrote or that we watched and read together. Cause that, that's kind of his angle on everything. So I've, I've blended that all together and here I am. Okay. And, and so, so moving back to this idea of the singularity um, and you brought up uh, Ray Kurzweil, uh, you know, I started out years ago as this huge fan of Ray Kurzweil and as every year passes, I, it's harder to keep my fandom going just because I'm, I'm beginning to wonder if some of his motivations are just his whole, you know, his life extension goal. You know, he wants to kind mm-hmm. of like be be around for if forever, if possible. I think a lot of the singularity talk began with him and a couple of others. And now it's moved into. Well, let me bring it up now. So there's a an organization that was created called the Future of Life Institute. And let me read what uh, part of their credo is. It says uh, it was formed to catalyze and support research and initiatives for safeguarding life and developing optimistic visions of the future, including positive ways for humanity to steer its own course, considering new technologies and challenges. That sounds really sedate and it doesn't sound outlandish. Yeah. <laughs> They're not trying to scare you. But then there's like another letter that they created. It was basically an open letter um, that basically made this argument. This is back in 2015. And the letter was presented at the International Joint Conference on Artificial Intelligence in Buenos Aires, Argentina. And the letter is basically just this kind of rundown of some of the possible dangers inherent in artificial intelligence and kind of calling for us as the human race to address some of these possible dangers and to kind of like shore up uh, safeguards. And that letter was signed by some pretty big people, including, as you might guess, Elon Musk, um, Apple co-founder Steve Wozniak, uh, Demis Hassabis from uh, Mm -hmm. Google DeepMind, uh, Stephen Hawking, uh, the author of A Brief History of Time and a very famous uh, astrophysicist. Uh, John Talen, uh, the co-founder of Skype, and, you know, a bunch of other people signed this open letter. And I was early on the Future of Life Institute. And what I noticed is they've toned down a lot of their language. The early language was very alarmist. And mm-hmm. it was very kind of um, something that you could really, you could have just taken whole passages of what they were writing and slapped it into in a, in a science fiction novel. And it would have been, you know, right in, right at home. But they've, I think what they've realized is that, you know, they're, they, in order to be taken seriously, they have to tone down their language, even though their fears may be stronger than what they're saying. So a lot of the, mm-hmm. the language is sedate and very calm and, hey, you know, let's, let's have controls. Let's, let's, you know, let's just think about this stuff. <laughs> um, but these guys are terrified. It's very clear. I mean, and when you see Elon Musk, who's a very smart guy, very successful guy, um, I'm a fan. I love his work. But when you see him speak in person, it's very clear. This guy is concerned. He's very concerned. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And he's making investments in artificial intelligence. And um, 
So, I, so I'm curious, like, so what, from your vantage point as a tech reporter, like, you know, do, do you think, you know, in, you know, organizations like the Future of Life Institute are on the right track? I mean, you know, given what you just wrote. Absolutely, actually. Um, the Future of Life Institute itself, you know, I haven't delved into exactly what, like a bunch of what they're, what they're going after, but the idea behind it that we need to think about these machines before we start building more powerful and more powerful uh, machines. I think that's very smart. <laughs> I think that's, that's necessary even. Yeah. See, and the one thing that caught me about this uh, open letter that they had wasn't necessarily like the negatives that they were pointing out, but the positives. Hmm. They're saying that, that AI could lead to the eradication of disease and poverty. Like, that's that's incredible and that's a that's a goal we should be striving for and the more we know about the machines that may help us get there the better but yeah with a grain of salt the 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 fear behind like elon musk thinks that we're all going to be house cats to our computers in the near future <laughs> because they're just going to take over and we're gonna we're going to be outstripped completely yeah and that's that's still that still seems ridiculous to me but we absolutely have to understand as much as we can about this entire field, you know, before we really dive in head first, uh, like these, like these researchers really want to. So, so yeah, I'm behind that. But but let's just get to the question that everyone always asks. Let that is really just no one wants to ask because they're it's embarrassing or they think it's too outland. Let's just take let's grab the question. Uh, <laughs> Terminator, basically. The military creates an artificial intelligence to help it run drones and weapon systems. And at a certain point, the system becomes not only self-sufficient, but I guess on some level self-aware and decides, oh, humans are the problem, not, you know, other nations or whatever, just humans in, in their entirety. And so that kicks off this war of machines against humanity. And there you have you know, basically the start of the plot for the Terminator, where machines mm -hmm. in planes like drones and humanoid machines are hunting humans. And so as we kind of move forward in real history, you know, with drones, you know, now we're on the cusp of having Amazon deliver all of our packages. Uh, we have drones already that can follow you, you know, that you can just like like a dog, like a pet. You know, we, we already have drones that can just like hover in the air and follow you. And of course, you know, some of the, you know, international human rights organizations are beginning to address uh, the moral um, questions around, you know, is it okay to allow drones to kill humans? And right. I know in just this past year, like uh, 2015, um, I actually re re wrote a couple of stories about uh, how we have drones in the U.S., uh, at least for surveillance, the, the government is using drones, uh, for surveillance here. And now you have, uh, local police departments that are considering using drones. And uh, which, mm -hmm. I mean, if you, once you're aware of that, I think the next logical question is, okay, I mean, given what we've seen police do in recent years with kind of military technology, tanks and, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. The next logical question is, okay, well, <laughs> I mean, it, it seems inevitable. Like, are police going to be empowered? you know, to kill uh, a possible suspect with drones. I mean, we just saw this in uh, Dallas. Did you see Dallas. the Dallas incident? I wrote a, a story about that bomb robot. Yeah, okay, yeah day, so can you just break that down after. real quick? Yeah, so that was a huge, uh, I think, milestone in local police uh, forces in the U.S. So after the Dallas uh, shooter, uh, when the police were trying to capture this, this shooter, um, they ended up using 
a, I mean, after hours of negotiations and shootouts with police, uh, they cornered him and they strapped a bomb to a surveillance robot. One of the robots that is generally used in like Iraq and Afghanistan, uh, in our, in our wars across the seas. And they strapped a bomb to it and rode that little robot into uh, the shooter's hiding place and exploded it. And they killed a U.S. citizen on U.S. soil using military technology. And it was using a robot for the first time in this way. Um, this robot was not designed to be a a killing machine. It was not designed to carry bombs. It was designed for surveillance. Um, and the question there is, just because we have the technology, should we be using it? Um, and and one of the, the people I talked to for this story... Um, brought up a really interesting point in terms of allowing public debate around around these kind of technologies. If police have this option to use a system like a bomb robot where they can easily, quickly, with minimal risk, take out a suspect, a shooter, whoever, are they more willing to use that than other forms of of talking someone down or negotiation? Are they going to more quickly jump to killing instead of negotiation? Are they more quickly going to use this machine um, because it because it poses less risk? And that's a debate that the public should be having. You know, if if our police forces have this kind of technology, we need to talk about it and we need to know, um, yeah, what's what is in our our police officers' hands. Absolutely, right. the military aspect of this stuff is 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 the scariest part, of course. Right, and yeah, and so that happened with. Little public discourse, no debate, you know, right. just very quietly in a very, you know, tiny part of the world. And, and we already we're not questioning or at least, um, you know, I mentioned international organizations, human rights organizations are questioning it. But in general, in rich nations, there isn't a great deal of public discourse on, you know, the moralities around killing humans with air drones. But in terms of, you know, in rich countries, you know, in the West, where, you know, a lot of, um, I don't know, you know, a lot of the wealth is, uh, based and, and even the far, you know, like, um, in Japan, you know, South Korea, there's almost no discussion about, you know, can you kill, is it okay to kill a human with a robot? And now, so first shots fired, you know, for first blood yeah. drawn. And even though it was controlled by a human, you know, this, it's already started. And so just to go back to the, to the Terminator thing. So I, I feel like we're kind of already down that path. And even if, you know, if we're talking about a system that isn't necessarily like the the system in her, where it is experiencing some sort of virtual love or sadness or regret, it nevertheless maybe has a self-awareness, at least to an extent to where it's like, okay, I must survive above and beyond anything else. And humans are, you know, an issue. Humans are a in problem. Yeah, that must be yeah. solved. So, I mean, I'm just curious. So, like, when you see a film like that and you think about what's really happening, I mean, do you think that's at all realistic? Not really. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but that's just for the for the reasons that I laid out in the article is that I don't think reaching self-awareness on that level is within our grasp, not with the knowledge we have now, not with the knowledge we're going to have, you know, by, by 2045. Like, I just, the brain and the mind are just so out of our reach right now that that even contemplating self-awareness for machines when we don't even understand what awareness is for ourselves is absolutely ridiculous to me yeah so so i get the fear though i get that's where it could go 
Um, but I don't see it happening anytime soon. Skynet. That's the name of the system. Skynet. Yeah. yeah. That's, I wasn't that's... sure. I was like, is it Skynet? Because that's a little too obvious. <laughs> right. You know, it is. It's, see, that's the thing. The weird part is what's kind of freaking some people out is like names are beginning to come up that sound a lot like, you know, some of these weird, like even like, um, this is not really AI, but, uh, you know, in the alien series where they have, um, the Whalen Yutani Corp mining space, you know, for minerals, you have like companies like, actually embarking on some of these you know ventures Mm -hmm. and some of the names are like you know frighteningly you know close to the thing the names we see in science fiction so i think some people are beginning to like you know try to connect the dots but like you said i mean we're a little bit far off but i don't know i i'm going to disagree with you i think the difference between you know let's say her and a system an automated system that you know decides that it's just going to take it upon itself to you know, no longer pay attention to human commands and it just has to eradicate all forms of organic life. I think those are different questions. I think the her example deals with, yes, your your notion in your article about, you know, the mind and the nature of existence and, you know, who am I, what am I? Whereas I do believe that in the not too distant future, maybe, you know, is I, maybe this is where I fall on the Musk side of things. I don't know. Um, mm-hmm. You know, in the next couple of decades, we may have a system where, you know, if there aren't certain safeguards and fail safes, you may have systems that decide, OK, um, you know, or, organic matter in this region you know, must be wiped out. I mean, it, what's interesting is um, in kind of researching some of the examples from the Future of Life Institute papers, mm-hmm. um, one example they gave was, and I'm probably saying this incorrectly, but just to kind of paraphrase, you know, let's say you have an automated uh, ambulance, right, that needs to get someone from point A to point B, and it takes the most efficient route. But let's say some person with a horrible disease, you know, some horribly contagious, you know, new plague has like vomited on the hood of that car. Mm-hmm. And, you you know, so that system isn't necessarily uh, aware or equipped to deal with, like, that kind of, like, new variable. It just knows don't run over humans while I'm driving from point A to point B. And so then it drives through the city, spreading this virus uh, to humans around the city, you know, via the vomit on the, you know, on the hood of its car, on the hood of mm-hmm. its, you know, on the hood of its whatever uh, construct. And it hasn't run over any humans, but it spread this virus. And that's just kind of like a weird off example of showing how even though we might put safeguards, you know, in in place for some of these uh, automated systems, they may engage in actions that may be harmful to humans that we haven't even anticipated simply because it was a programming scenario or, or you know, a, a situational, you know, instance that mm-hmm. we had. We just couldn't think about we we couldn't come right. up with we couldn't imagine you know a, a beforehand yeah w- which doesn't make it any different than any other system we have already you know none of our systems are perfect right yeah so i mean i i'm, I'm glad these guys are thinking about it but yeah there, there is reason for skepticism so ray kurzweil i mean how I'm, I'm sure at this point you've delved into his background who he is like i mean do you think his his philosophies his theories about the singularity are on the mark no. <laughs> um, I mean, and, you know, who am I to question this this brilliant man and this brilliant futurist and technologist who who really does understand so much more about these systems than I do? 
Um, but his conclusions still like as much as I look into them, cause he is one of the people I focused on when I was like kind of researching for my novel, um, just because he was on the extreme end of things and he's very vocal about them. But honestly, he comes off to me as pretty pretentious in terms of not himself as, as a human, but like just how he talks about this stuff. Right. I know. Ouch. I'm sorry. Arrogant, <laughs> pretentious. We're, we're full of insults today, but, uh, um, yeah, it just the way that, that he talks about building these machines and then we will just automatically map the brain, which means we will understand how to upload a mind. Like that's where his dots connect. And that does not connect to me. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it just, I don't, I don't understand. And I really haven't seen him give a good explanation as to how other than, we are just going to, you know, these machines are just going to advance and we will understand more and more and more. And then we will be, you know, building conscious machines. We will be uploading our minds. And yeah, and that does kind of reek to me of, of wanting to live forever. Right. Um, and that, which is, sounds like a terrible outcome, honestly. So that, that holds no appeal for me. And maybe that's why I don't, that maybe that's why I don't believe, um, that this is actually possible. Um, well, I, so I want to raise one possibility with regard to the singularity that may kind of, you know, uh, do- dovetail with your novel's topic. So my belief of the singularity is that it won't necessarily be initiated by machines, but by hybrids, meaning humans that are enhanced by uh, machines. So mm-hmm. um, just recently on the Mars pod, we talked about a new startup called Kernel. Um, have you heard of this? I don't think so. So Kernel is basically working on brain implants that are designed. Oh, to... yeah. So you know about this. Yeah. 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 So they're working on brain implants designed to help treat, I think, Alzheimer's and stroke victims. But their ambitions are in the future to use these uh, brain implants to also improve just cognitive abilities, you know, um, memory, uh, you know, the speed of, because I mean, that makes sense actually, even when you think of something and they call it a neural prosthetic. And so when you just think of normal prosthetics, let's just say, and yeah, I talk about this all the time. I broke my leg last year and I had to get surgery and I got, now I have metal and I have metal in my leg and it's basically, it's not a prosthetic, but I mean, these kind of things that help us, you know, um, well, when you lose a limb now, you can, mm-hmm. you now have uh, neuromuscular signals that can actually control a hand. And, you know, in Mm -hmm. the same way that you saw, you know, a lot of us saw that, you know, early Star Wars vision of Luke Skywalker, you know, operating his robotic hand. I mean, this stuff is now becoming reality. And so now this company, Kernel, is creating a neural prosthetic. And so it's I think it's reasonable to assume if they can treat, you know, maladies, you know, deficiencies in in the brain, you know, it just stands to reason that they'll, you know, the next iteration will be to improve you know, what we can do, even if you're not, you know, it's somehow disabled. And so if you can pay for it. Well, yeah, there you go. There, and Which then, is terrifying. Yeah. Then, well, then there's the class society, right? Yeah. I would love to hear your thoughts. I mean, I think that if if there is a singularity, it'll probably be driven by these enhanced humans uh, with maybe chips or some sort of connection to AI systems that, you know, improve their ability to you know, operate among people who don't have these enhancements. I mean, have you considered that? Absolutely. And I am actually pretty excited for this like transhumanist kind of form that we're going to take. Uh, I would, I'd love to, to put augments on my body that can just kind of make the world cooler. I don't know. Like that sounds great to me. I'm covered in tattoos. So, <laughs> I mean, maybe that's the first step. Maybe it's a gateway drug. I don't know. Um, <laughs> right. But the, and the medical aspect of, of this advancing technology that that people like Kurzweil lay out 
that's the most exciting aspect because, yeah, I think we can build, um, you know, smaller nanobots that can go into our bloodstreams and fix what's going on with, with diseases. And I think these, these brain chips, that's very interesting. I I'd love to follow where those go. Um, because like Alzheimer's is one of the, the, my biggest fears, you know, just in life in general, it's, it's an awful disease. So, so medically, I, I love the, this idea of, of augmenting the body. Socially, though, it gets, it gets very tricky because it would be a, not only a class division, I mean, but it, it's just a, that's a human to potentially other, other life form division. Yeah. Um, you know, like maybe we would start to see transhumanists as, uh, yeah, as a different species. Cyborgs. Maybe they'd be cyborgs. Yeah. They'd be seen differently. Um, have you read Transmetropolitan, the comic? No, but that name is amazing. <laughs> like, what is that? So it's a it's a comic series by Warren Ellis, um, and the main character is uh, pretty much based on uh, Hunter S. Thompson, uh, but he's but he's in the future, and he's this crazy journalist living in this world of people who are augmented, and it's just like this gritty kind of underbelly of where transhumanism can go. It's really really interesting. Okay. Um, so that's one of my favorites. Yeah, please, please read it. It's one of my favorites. So, yeah, so transhumanism, humans, um, transhumanism, I think, yeah, so I I hadn't even thought about that, but yeah, you're right. So, um, but I mean, as a means or as the real face of the singularity, I mean, do you, do you think I have something here as, as like, as that being like the real outcome of like this so-called singularity? Sure. I think that's way more realistic (laughs) than, than anything I've heard. Yeah, from from some of these other futurists. Yeah, and the Pew Research Center they recently did um like a survey where they actually asked uh, a bunch of people in Middle America like you know what they thought about uh, transhuman style enhancements to the body. You know whether it's um you know implants or drugs or blood therapies. And surprisingly, the vast majority, well, not maybe not surprisingly, the vast majority of people, even if it involved like saving their life or improving the quality of their life, the vast majority of people um, said they were not interested in transhuman style enhancements. And an interesting subset in the study actually brought up this whole, well, basically the notion of religion. You know, a lot of people, you know, that they surveyed seem to feel that. Uh, it was kind of like against the will of, you know, mm. the the great, you know, whatever entity creator, that, yeah. yeah, the great creator that they, you know, serve or worship. So, I mean, I think that's another kind of variable that maybe we're not counting on, uh, at least uh, techies, you know, people in the tech community, the tech science community, that we're not counting on as much. The fact that this this world is still largely populated by people who take their faith very seriously, whether it's mm-hmm. Islam or Christianity and, you know, all the various forms of, of Christianity and Islam. I mean, when you talk about enhancing someone in a way that changes their ability to, you know, maybe live longer, think in a different way. I mean, you know, you know in a sense, you're challenging the natural order. I mean, have you thought about any of mm-hmm. that with regard to, you know, this, this fiction that you're working on? Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and I, I have pretty extreme thoughts on, on religion myself, you know, very well-founded thoughts. I won't say extreme. Um, but yeah, I, I find a lot of the, a lot of the religious, um, talk about it kind of, 
just as ridiculous as a lot of the futurists talk <laughs> about the future. So um, I don't know that that is interesting. I hadn't actually looked at any studies kind of saying where the rest of society is on this issue. Uh, and I, I the, the religion parts are totally it's something I don't really think about for myself, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is that is really interesting. And I wonder how that will play into the conversation, because, of course, religion finds its way into every conversation we have about society. And would you chip up? Would I chip up? I don't know. So <laughs> mentally, I don't know if it's a brain thing to help you think better. Uh, that that seems kind of awful, to be honest. Like, <laughs> I, you know, I'm doing fine. I'm doing fine on my own. Um, so, I don't wait, wanna... so, so I mean, if if. It meant, let's say, let's put you at, hmm, let's put you at 75 and it, you don't necessarily have uh, Alzheimer's or dementia or anything like that, but you can feel the doddering, you know, uh, Jessica, come on. Like you can, sure. you're, you know, you're not as uh, whips, you know, sharp as you used to be. And it is now common, you know, at this point in, in you know, in American life to chip up. And mm-hmm. you have health insurance to cover it. And uh, if you chip up, you'll be able to maybe, you know, write more novels quicker. Uh, maybe you can still report because, you know, I mean, I, not, I mean, at 75, a lot of people are still writing just fine. Sure. Yeah. You know, but I mean, in terms of output, maybe some of the output some from, for some people seems to slow. So, I mean, so even in that scenario, you know, all things being equal, you've got the health insurance. You, oh, you I would, do that. You would chip up. <laughs> Yeah, like right now I wouldn't because, you know, I'm I'm fine. Hmm. Uh but yeah, if I if I felt men- my mental capabilities declining, if I wanted to be able to take care of myself, um but that was fading and I could chip up and change that, yeah, absolutely. Um but I I don't think as a default I would I would go for it. I would do body augmentations, but not necessarily mind. Now, what body augmentations? I'm curious. Oh, well, you know, they have those magnets in your fingers now, like those, but more extreme, (laughs) like put lasers in my fingers, uh, give me, give me a screen on my arm that I can control my entire house with, you know, like stuff like that. I'm, I'm totally down. I'm talking to a cyborg. That's you. I mean, one day, man. One day. Wow. Okay. All right. I just want my tattoos to move. That's the first step. Oh, wow. That (laughs) that moving ink. That has to be on the way, right? I mean, it's in my novel, so. (laughs) <laughs> okay, yeah, animated tattoos. That has to be on the way. Well, I mean, so before before I let you go, is there anything kind of like in this space, the singularity, AI, uh, you know, automated systems, is there anything kind of on the horizon that you think we should kind of keep an eye out for that you think is maybe the frontier or something kind of just an interesting development that you see kind of on the horizon? Um, yeah, definitely in the medical fields, like these these ideas of nanobots and automated surgeries and all that. Uh, that's really fascinating to me. And I think there's there's room for for some big leaps in the near future in the medical field in terms of AI. Um, and and hopefully, like if we have robots doing these like routine surgeries, that'll free up more surgeons to do more intense operations, you know, and they'll, we'll be creating, I think, a better ecosystem in general in the medical community. Um, so, so that's really exciting to me. And there's also those drones that mm. some guy stuffed his cat and turned it into a drone. And that's really interesting to me too. You know, I saw that, I think that's like a couple <laughs> of years old, but like, I remember seeing that. I'm glad you brought that up because uh, I saw that and I thought, okay, on one level, that's horrible and weird, but on another level, wait a minute, 
I see something here. There's not, you know what I mean? Like there's something right? he's, he's hitting <laughs> on the edge of something that I'm not quite sure what it is, but he's touching on something. I guess maybe reanimating your pet through robotics, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, in some way. And I mean, you were calling drones, like following you around like a pet, you know, earlier. And that one literally is. Yeah. Oh my God, if you had a flying cat drone, just like spread eagle like that cat, just like hovering so behind funny. your head. Oh, my God. Yeah, I love that, it. That would get you some attention. Well, mm-hmm. Jessica Condit, I really appreciate you joining us. Um, I would say the name of your novel, but I, I know that, you know, how the publishing industry works, the name may, may change, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So do you have any other projects or anything that you kind of want to keep, you know, keep uh, on the watch list for us? Oh, I'm I'm always writing and I'm working on a, a graphic novel right now that involves time travel, Edison and Tesla. So, Ooh, you know. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Oh, wait, wait, wait. By the way, I can't let you go without asking because I know um, – I don't know if I said this at the at the outset, but um, you were a game uh, reporter, a games reporter for a long time, and yeah. um, No Man's Sky. Yeah. <laughs> are, you, are you aware of No Man's Sky? This is for those out there who don't know. No Man's Sky is basically a um, it's a video game that puts you in a universe that is essentially infinite, and it gives you these like sort of realistic worlds that you can land on and it interact with the flora and fauna and the animals. And a lot of it is based on kind of like how planets would really develop based on their relationship to the sun. And mm-hmm. it's, it's a fascinating uh, video game because mainly because it's supposedly it's like 16 quintillion planets, I think are involved. 18 quintillion, 18 quintillion. planets. <laughs> so, I mean, have you played it? Do you have oh, any yeah. thoughts? I, yeah, I play it. I love it. Um, it's gorgeous. Like even get rid of all the mechanics, get rid of the actual gameplay. The game is gorgeous. Um, you land on these planets and they're neon colored and they're stegosaurus turtle dogs walking around. And it's just fun to just live in this world for a while. And then, yeah, you get to explore this huge galaxy, uh, this huge universe. Uh, so it's absolutely, it's one of my favorites. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. So yeah, uh, No Man's Sky. Check it out, guys. Thank you, Jessica Condit, for joining us. This has been the Mars Magazine Podcast. This has been Adario Strange, and we will see you in the future. <laughs>